to another country and wastes it and, and um, comes back destitute. And the father welcomes him back. And, and kind of the theme and what we looked at last week was this idea that um, we often get in our minds that the folks who are part of God's family are the cleanest and best. You know what I mean? Like the, the church folks, and I'm not downgrading church folks, but the folks that, you know, like you're pretty sure if it rained real hard and they walked across the big sandy street, their shoes wouldn't get dirty because they were walking on the water, right? You, you know those people, right? I, I might be one of them. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> and so like, like what we talked about last week was this idea that the folks that are a part of God's family, like the kingdom family, are people who realize that they need God. They're not perfect. They don't pretend to be perfect. They go to God and they say, I need you because I can't do this myself. And God accepts us like we are and then loves us entirely too much to leave us that way. Everybody with me? And so God's family isn't the perfect. It's not the prettiest. It's, well, in my case, it might be. Um, it's not always the best. It's, I'm kidding, guys. It really is a joke. Um, it's, it's the folks that, that sometimes are, are the lowest on the totem pole. These are the people that God looks for and loves and, and gathers up to him. And so today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see sort of an extension of this concept. Now, before we dig into Acts at all, I want to give a little background. All of the books of the Bible, you'll find, have themes. Like the authors, like when it's a single author book, the author will sit down and pick a theme that, he, that he's writing at. And, and these are actually very well-written books, believe, you know, it, it is the truth, not believe it or not. It is the truth. They're very... Um, intelligently written books. And in the case of Acts, Luke wrote, wrote this book, and, and the theme of this is the church expanding outward, right? So what we see in the very beginning of the book of Acts is the church is established. Jesus, like, ascends into heaven, and the disciples start preaching, and in Jerusalem, there are all these converts. And then they go out to the surrounding cities. And then they go even further out. And then they go further out. And eventually, Acts covers, like, the whole world, um, or the known world at the time. Um, and, and it's the theme of the book of Acts that God, his, his planting of the church in the gospel, right, in the story of Jesus, the planting of the church, the redemption of all of us, wasn't assigned just to these people in this time. It was all of us, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake? Good. Thank you for not snoring. Abby would have if she was here. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 8. Um, we're coming on right after the story of Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer is sort of this guy who, who um, is, is a pagan, and he sees people doing stuff by the Holy Spirit, and he's like, wow, you guys are able to heal sick people and speak in tongues and stuff like that. I want that. How much do I have to pay to get that? And they, like, kick him out. They say, well, you can't buy God, right? Like, you can't, you can't go out and, like, like, take God like he's something to have for prestige, right? Um, and... and there's kind of an interesting little twist in that story. It's a man looking for power and greatness, right, rather than looking for God. Everybody with me? Going to come back to that. It's important. Um, so Acts chapter 8. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, so we have Peter and John and probably a handful of other disciples. I'm going to slip this in here because I'm, I'm guessing Philip is with them. But that's not in the text, so I can't just say, oh, Philip's with them. Um, but Peter and John are out, and they're preaching to Samaritans. Samaritans, um, at one point in time, Israel was one big country, one big little country. 
Um, and then there was sort of a divorce that happened. And, and the guys in the north said, we're not dealing with you people anymore. We're leaving. And they took their country and went as far away as they could, which was right there, really. I mean, it didn't get far. Um, and then the guys in the south said, well, we're going to keep following, like, this king. And this is our king. And you guys can leave, but we didn't want you here anyway, right? And, and have any of y'all ever seen, like, like, when a family breaks up, but they stay too close together? Was it nice? No, right? And it's not nice now, actually. This sort of kicked off a series of wars and invasions where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, like, take shots at each other, right? And eventually, the northern kingdom gets wiped out by an invading army, and they take all of the people away as slaves. Um, the folks, not all of the people, they take a huge chunk of the people, the wealthy people, and they leave the riffraff behind. The riffraff that are left behind um, had a different religion than the Jews, right? They still worship God, but they said, well, because we have to be with your country to worship God like the way that you guys do it, we're going to follow God a different way. And so they just made up their whole different version of the Jewish faith. And there are still Samaritans today, by the way. I read this last night. There's about 900 Samaritans, and they live in Israel. They still exist. There's not many of them left. There was about a million of them at this time. But like any good divorcing family, right, the folks in Judea hated, hated, hated the guys in the north, right? And those were the Samaritans. And you could pick them out a mile away, right? These, so these are guys who are Jewish people who don't follow the Jewish faith, right? You follow religion wrong, that kind of ticks people off. You ever seen that happen? You, you invade my house, and that kind of ticks people off, and so there's anger there. And it was so bad that Jewish people, they only referred to Samaritans as things like dog. And if you walked through a Samaritan city, when you got to the other side, you were supposed to get to the other side, and you were supposed to take your shoes and pound them off to get all the dust off that you could because you didn't want to take any of the dirt from Samaritan country into Jewish country. Like, this is how bad these guys hated each other. Everybody with me? It'd be akin to me, like, you know, walking into my in-law's house, walking out and saying, wow, I don't want any of that on my shoes. <laughs> Yo, my wife didn't hear that. She's somewhere else. Um, praise God. Anyway, um, so they're out preaching to the lowest of the low in the eyes of Jewish folk, right? You don't even talk to these guys. And the disciples go out and preach to the lowest of the low. Um, they come back, and the next thing God does is he takes Philip, one of the 12 disciples, says, go to Gaza, right? And so he starts following this road to Gaza. Um, Gaza, at the time, was not where he was going. And this is going to sound really strange. In about 60 AD, Gaza was destroyed. And it was rebuilt somewhere else. But the road that's being described here is the road to the ruins of Gaza, which is on its way to North Africa. Everybody with me? If there was a road to nowhere, would people go there? Is this a busy road? I'm guessing no, right? I mean, what's a small town in Montana? Big Sandy. Hey, hey! <laughs> Ekalaka. Actually, we drove to Ekalaka, and I did not see a single car. That was Abby with potty training. We pulled over, and I put her on her potty on the side of the road, and I was watching for other cars to protect her modesty, which she didn't have because she was two. Um, I didn't see a single other car. Nothing, right? And I thought, man, if I break down here, I'll die before someone comes. In fact, I think I saw the skeleton of an old Dodge on the side of the road. It was a Dodge joke. Did you catch that? Anyway, um, 
So he's on his way to nowhere in particular to go to Africa, actually, is where like the road eventually goes, um, because the, an angel came and said, go there. And so he goes, and he started out on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, um, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kenbeke, uh, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Now, we're going to hit pause here because there's a couple things going on. First off, he's on the road to nowhere, and he runs into someone. Like, what are the odds, right? The guy that he runs into is a eunuch. Does anybody not know what a eunuch is? <laughs> Ask your wife when you get home, Larry. She'll explain. Um, a eunuch is a man who has been modified in a very significant way. He's essentially a seer at that point. Does that fill in the gap? Now, I didn't know what a seer was until I got here. Um, <laughs> um, for, for Jewish people, eunuchs were not cool, right? Like the Jewish folks, they had a list of people who were not acceptable to God. And if you were a eunuch, you were not allowed to set foot in the temple. In fact, there was an outer courtyard of the temple where if you weren't Jewish, you could wander in if you wanted. They weren't allowed in there. Like, if you were a eunuch, you came nowhere near the temple. You were unacceptable, right? Um, and, and so he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. So he's from another country, and he serves the queen of, of Ethiopia, or at the time, maybe the queen of Sheba. Maybe you've heard of that, like from the ancient world. This is the queen of Sheba. Sheba is Ethiopia, but by an older name. Um, and so he runs into this guy who's a treasury official. By the way, he was a eunuch because um, eunuchs, like, when you alter a man in that way, gosh, how to say that gently, um, when you alter a man in that way, he tends to be less aggressive, less ambitious, less self-serving, and they made very good court officials. You would sometimes, if you had a harem or like a bunch of wives, you would have eunuchs tend to them because it was very safe. Ask your parents when you get home if you don't understand that. Um, eunuchs tended to steal less. And so this guy was made a eunuch so he wouldn't steal from the treasury. Right? But he's got a very, very important position. And this guy was almost certainly wealthy. Right? Everybody with me? Very rich man. Nobody wants him around. Right? Is it his fault nobody wants him around? No. He was altered. It's not his fault. Right? Now, part of the reason they didn't like eunuchs, well, we'll come back to that. Um, well, because I can chase rabbit trails forever, right? Um, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, meaning he's somebody who follows the God of the Jews, right? He goes to Jerusalem to worship. He's not even allowed in the temple, so he worships outside of the temple. This is a guy who wants to follow the Jewish faith bad, and actually so bad, um, in Ethiopia they had queens because the king was considered to be God and ruling the country was beneath him. And, and so, like, the king would come along and he would hang out all day and sort of enjoy peeled grapes and stuff like that. And, you know, people would worship him and take care of him. And it was awesome, I'm sure. And the queen did all the work, right? Um, and so this man, if he didn't worship the king and he was worshiping God, he actually was kind of taking his life into his own hands. Everybody with me? Um, so he really wants to follow God. And to take it a step further, we find... Um, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now, there's probably 40 copies of the book of Isaiah in Bibles in this room, right? You can pick up a Bible for, a, you know, 25 cents at Goodwill. I mean, these are very cheap, and we're used to cheap books. Um, 
a copy of the book of Isaiah would cost a fortune. A whole town might have a copy. Um, might. And, and, like, it's pretty unlikely. Most towns didn't. Um, most towns, everybody would pitch in and save up for years and years and years and years and eventually buy a copy of the, the Torah, the, the, the scrolls, right? But Isaiah, like, he, he spent a fortune buying this thing, right? Um, and he's reading it. Now, part of what the joke, there's a joke here, right, like that you guys don't get because it's really cultural and of the time. Isaiah, the scroll for Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls, I've seen part of it in a museum. It's 27 feet long. 27, I mean, you could probably roll a roll of toilet paper out 27 feet. I mean, like, think, you know, 27 feet. This is a big, stinking scroll. And he's rolled it out to the middle. It's been handwritten because photocopiers weren't all that common at that time. Um, and he's reading from this book, probably picked a spot in the middle. Anybody ever do that? Pick a spot in the middle and you start reading? Um, He's reading very long book, happens to be on this passage. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So now, this is a guy who bought a book, right? that he spent thousands and thousands of dollars on, and he couldn't find anybody to teach him what it meant. Like, how much is that? I mean, like, if I went and bought, I mean, how much does a combine cost? Hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If I went and bought a combine and I asked the salesperson to show me how to use it, do you think he would? I mean, he would, right? I don't know much about combines. But, you know, if I'm going to spend $100,000 on something, I bet if I walked into a Porsche dealership and bought a $200,000 car, they are cheap anyway, and I said I need driver's lessons before I could take it, that guy's going to take an afternoon and show me how to use that thing, right? These guys don't like Unix enough that teaching they give away free everywhere else was not given to the guy who just gave them, like, $300,000 for a book. Some perspective, Right? So he says, how can I understand this thing if nobody's even going to bother to explain it to me? So he sits down. Philip sits down. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so did he. So did he not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Now, this is Isaiah 52, okay? There's this neat little trick I used to do when I worked at the children's home, and all these kids didn't, didn't know the Bible at all. I would take this Isaiah 52, and I'd sit down with a group of them, and I would read it. And, like, the whole thing, it's 52 to 53, is almost line for line the life of Jesus. And I would read it, and I would say, hey, guys, where do you think, this is, where do you think I got this? And, oh, that's in the Bible. Um, where in the Bible is it? What's it talking about? Well, it's obviously talking about Jesus. It's probably in the New Testament. This is written 700 years before Jesus is born, right? And it's this line-for-line explanation of the life of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, saving us all from our sins because he died for us, the whole, the whole shabam, right? And he happens to be on this spot. And I'm thinking Philip, like, licked his lips like, like a, you know, oh, this is the best spot to talk about. Let me tell you about it. Right? 
Now, for a eunuch, by the way, well, what's something eunuchs not have? Family. Ain't it the truth? Like, you start losing parts, it gets really difficult to have kids, right? And it gets really difficult to justify marriage, right? Um, like, like, this is a guy who is the end of the line for his family. This is part of the reason the Jews hated eunuchs, because descendants for Jews was huge. And to not have children was a sign that God hated you, according to the Jewish people. Everybody with me? So the eunuch, you just assume God hates that guy. And, you know, if you were living that life, you might assume God was ticked off at you or punish you for something, too. I don't know. Um, but he's reading this, and what does it say? Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from this earth. So he says, wait a minute, I can relate to this guy, right? He's never going to have descendants because his life was taken. Is he talking about himself? Tell me what he's talking about so I can get this. I mean, lines it right up, right? The coincidence is amazing, um, unless you don't believe in coincidences, which is actually what I'm pitching. Um, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So Philip backs up and says, let me tell you about Jesus. And he goes through the Scriptures and he explains it to him. And the eunuch is overjoyed. They travel along the road. He's probably talking for quite a while because he's a preacher and we don't shut up. Um, they traveled along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? He says, wait a minute, I can join? I mean, isn't it the truth? Like, this guy can't be Jewish. Like, he, he's what would have, he would be considered a God-fearer. It was a class of people who were outside of outside of, of the group. Like, he was not Jewish. He couldn't become Jewish. But, like, he was still following God because he knew God was to be feared. And he stops. He says, can I really just be baptized? Can I really just join? They won't let me in the temple back there. Am I welcome now? Part of the amazing news about Christ is that no matter what has happened to you or no matter what you have done, no matter what your circumstances, you're welcome in God's family. Right? God's family is folks who are at the dead end. Folks that sometimes maybe their family don't even want them around. I met a preacher in Michigan. He was in prison for, for some really heinous stuff. He was a bad guy. He was a very large African-American fellow. He probably weighed about 350 pounds. He was big and muscular. And he lived in a men's group home. Um, when he got out of prison, he tried to go home and tried to tell his family, I found Jesus. I'm a different man. And every member of his family, including his own mother, said, if you ever come here again, we will shoot you. And so he stopped going home. And he was accepted in with this group of men who were, he did drug classes with them. He taught them how to quit using drugs. And he became a part of this family. And it was interesting watching this guy with the people around him because they hung on his words. And it was like a guy standing in the dad spot in a room. You know what I mean? Um, you guys ever meet someone like that who's just like, everybody looks at him? And I remember looking at that guy at the time and thinking, this guy got a family back, right? His own fault, he lost his own, but God gave him something better. Um, maybe not what he had planned, but God has grace for us. He welcomes us. Um, so, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down and the, into the water, and Philip baptized him. 
When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. By the way, this either means that there was a miracle and he disappeared or he could have just left, right? I mean, like, it's a pretty reasonable read of it. Some people are like, it was a mutiny. He could have just walked away. The God spirit could have said, well, time to go somewhere else, and he went somewhere else. Um, and suddenly Philip took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, meaning the eunuch never encountered him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Um, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns he reached until he reached Caesarea. Um, so now, quick show of hands, who thinks that the eunuch got back in the car and kept reading? Would you? I think he did because he was excited, right? All of a sudden, he's got the key to understand this thing, and he's welcome in. And I'm sure he sat down and said, give me a little more of this. Very cool thing. Um, you get to about two pages later, right? This is Isaiah 56, um, 4 to 5. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuch who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. So like, I mean, this is literally like a chapter later, okay? So God lines this up. So he, he meets Jesus, and the very next thing he reads is, God can redeem me and give me a name like in his temple, a place I wasn't welcome at yesterday because Jesus died for me. Um, there are lots of folks who find themselves in a place where there's no more family, right? People die. People leave. People don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, people disappear for one reason or another. They, they, they never get married and they don't have family. They, they end up in this place where, like, family is not there. And in the church, sometimes we're insensitive to this, right? Because we're all about don't get divorced and raise your kids right. But the reality is that the good news is especially good news for the guy without a family. Why? Because he gets everything he thought he didn't have because God just gives it to you. Look around you. Just take a second. I can tell who's awake now. Look around you. <laughs> the people around you, if they are believers in Jesus and you are a believer in Jesus, these are your brothers and sisters, right? These are people that God put here to take care of you. Um, these are people that God put here to be your family, to love you and take care of you. And we're all family in Christ who died for us. Um, it's something worth celebrating. And actually, I think it puts a special call on us as church members. We're supposed to look for the folks who don't have family and find ways to make them a part of us, right? Thank you for mentioning Levi today, by the way. He has family, right? But God calls us to make him a part of our family. Um, and it's the greatest blessing you can experience. Has any, have any of you guys ever been in a church family where everybody was so close it was amazing? I think the Andersons lived that way. Um, <laughs> You know, where people are just welcome into your home and they just become part of your family. This is a blessing God gives us in Christ. Um, my challenge to you this week, and I always close with a challenge. I'm going to finish up trying not to go over time today. Um, my challenge for you this week um, is to look around you for, at your own life and at the lives of those around you and ask yourself, who is my family? You know, am I welcoming God's family into my own? Um, am I somebody who's standing alone without a family and has God given me something that I didn't, didn't know I had? I, I think he shouted it at the eunuch, right? Hey, you weren't welcome yesterday. You are today. 
and you have something better than sons and daughters. You have your name in my temple, meaning you're a part of us, right? Is God shouting that at you today? Is God shouting at you that you've got something better than the thing you lost? We're going to close in prayer. Do do we have one more song or no? I don't. Okay. I'm getting a yes. So we have one more song. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to open our hearts and be family together. Help us to be a kingdom family, a family that loves no matter who people are, no matter where they came from, no matter matter what their history, no matter where they're going, Lord. Help us to be a family that loves each other. And and just, just give us that grace and that blessing. And help us to appreciate it for all it's worth. In Christ's holy, holy name I pray. Amen. Lost my microphone. We're going to close with the blessing as they're getting ready. And so when they're done with the song, um, you're dismissed. Um, may God bless you with family. May God bless you with a heart that recognizes the hearts that he puts near you. May God bless you with, with folks that approach you and love you like you're one of their own. And may you have descendants that are spiritual descendants, um, descendants that will live forever in heaven. In Christ's name I pray.